Hello, and welcome to the Para-Unity Podcast. Tonight we have with us Jim Winter from Transcendent Paranormal Society, based out of Dubuque, Iowa. But before we bring Jim on, let's talk a little bit about Dubuque. Iowa's first city, Dubuque, lies at the junction of Iowa, Illinois, and Wisconsin, a region locally known as the Tri-State Area. It serves as the main commercial and industrial center for the area, and with five colleges, it is also the educational and cultural hub. It is one of the few cities in Iowa with bluffs, and a tourist destination featuring the city's unique architecture and Mississippi River location. Dubuque has long been a center for manufacturing, but the economy grew rapidly and diversified into other areas in the first years of the 21st century. By 2005, the city led the state and the Midwest in job growth, ranking as the 22nd fastest growing economy in the United States. Alongside industry, the city has large health care, education, tourism, publishing, and financial service sectors. The current city of Dubuque was named after Julian Dubuque, a lead miner originally from Quebec, Canada, and was officially chartered in 1833, located in the unorganized territories of the United States. The region was designated as the Iowa Territory in 1838 and was included in the newly created state of Iowa in 1846. With its tag as the oldest in Iowa comes many ghostly haunts. Called Mary Fran by students, this hall at Clark College was built in 1924 and is said to be haunted by the school's founder, Mary Frances Clark. Students have experienced unexplained footsteps in the hall and an uneasy feeling of being watched, and they have seen a shrouded apparition near the chapel. In other reports, the fourth floor of the dorms, which is now used for storage, is haunted and there is a ghostly nun who once hung herself who bleeds all over the floor. Students have also reported an etching appearing on the windows that reads, Help Me. The Redstone Inn, built in 1894 by a man who was forced to jump ship in the town and ended up prospering owning a wagon empire. Staff and guests nowadays have reported seeing the apparition of a distinguished-looking gentleman, while the owners have claimed to heard disembodied footsteps. Ghost cats have also been known to call this comfy inn home. According to the staff and guests at the historic Hotel Julian, Sightings of the apparition of a man in a period clothing on the upper floors of the hotel aren't uncommon, and neither are there legends surrounding his appearance. Some believe the specter is Al Capone, who frequently stayed at the hotel and is even rumored to have owned it at various points in his life. Lastly, we have the Grand. Haunts at this opera house built between 1889 and 1890 like to pull pranks. The lights operate by themselves, the cameras and tape recorders behave strangely, Witnesses have also heard ghostly singing coming from a seemingly empty stage, and apparitions have been seen as well. The ghosts here are loved by the people who run this opera house because they seem to love the theater, and they don't do anything terribly frightening. Now, help me welcome to the Para-Unity podcast, Jim Winter, for a first-hand look at some great haunted locations and some insight into the science of paranormal investigations used in Dubuque, Iowa. Jim, how you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you? I am fantastic. I got to say, obviously, you know, you have a sweet spot in my heart being since this is my team, too. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. So, Jim, what got you interested in the paranormal? Uh, Well, I'd always been interested in the paranormal shows uh, as a young adult watching them, but uh, never really thought about getting into paranormal investigation. Uh, But then in uh, September of 2015, uh, my mom went in for heart surgery, and she didn't make it out. Uh, she passed away uh, in the operating room. And so uh, that was a little traumatic. And that night, uh, I went to my house where I grew up, and my, my mom collected teddy bears. 
And my dad said, why, why don't you take something to your mom home to remember her by and comfort you? And so I meticulously looked at all of her teddy bears and, and focused on five or ten of them, of them that I knew were her favorite and picked one out and took it home. Uh, and I'm not afraid to admit that that night I slept with the teddy bear. <clears throat> and the next morning when I woke up, uh, there was a green mark on its forehead. And that mark was not there when I picked it up from her house because, again, I, I very closely looked at all the animals before I picked one. And my mom's favorite color happened to be green. So for me, that was a sign that she was there. She was comfort me, comforting me, letting me know everything was fine. And uh, nine months later, my only brother committed suicide. And so, uh, again, another traumatic event, unexpected and by at that point, I was like, you know, I really want to try and find out what happens when we pass on. I've had two of my family members pass away in nine months. I need to find some answers or try and find some comfort at least. And I really enjoyed helping people. So uh, the first opportunity that arose for me to go on a paranormal investigation and cover it as a journalist, I took it and I was hooked from there. So you said you covered it as a journalist. So yes. Can you explain that a little bit more? Sure. Uh, a team was coming to Edinburgh Manor uh, in Scotch Grove, Iowa, which is only about 45 minutes from Dubuque. And I offered to uh, cover their investigation uh, at, on a freelance basis. So what I was going to do is come cover their two-day public investigation they had there and write some articles up about it for him and his website, but also to pitch out to uh, magazines and publications. So I spent the two days there investigating just like they did, covering them, talking to people, and uh, – by the time I was done with that two-day investigation, I knew that that was definitely something I wanted to pursue. Okay. And then so from after spending those couple days there, that, that really kind of lit that fire for you. I have to admit yes. that the Edinburgh Manor, that's that's on my on my bucket list right now. So <laughs> we'll, we'll yes. need to talk about it after the show. Yes, I've been, I've been there three times, and every single time is amazing. Yeah, and then we've had Curtis on the show as well too, and, you know, he – has stories upon stories from the hours upon hours he's been in there. Yes, exactly. Okay, so you did your your interviews and you did your journalistic view of this. Mm-hmm. What what got you to go from the journalism side to the investigation side? Well, I being a uh, newspaper editor for twenty the first twenty years of my professional career, I I'm a very logical thinker, but I'm also I also have an insatiable curiosity, and I love to do historic research. So those three traits, uh, I thought, played very well into being a paranormal investigator because when you go into a location, you always want to try and debunk and come up with a logical, logical explanation for things first. Uh, so my logic played in, uh, played in there. Uh, the insatiable curiosity, just going to a place not knowing what you're going to encounter, that was perfect. And then the historic research, which is obviously something you have to do with any location, specifically uh, house investigations and private investigations, you have to know about the property before you go there. So uh, to me, it was just a natural transition from going from a logical uh, newspaper journalism covering it to being an investigator. And uh, I I wrestled at the beginning about, okay, I'm a logical person. I'm a logical thinker. Do I really believe that ghosts exist? Do I really believe that there is something there? But Within the first five minutes of being at Edinburgh Manor on that first uh, investigation where I was a journalist, I had an experience, and I've heard and seen things since then that I cannot logically explain. So uh, I've kind of made the transition. (laughs) It doesn't take long when some of that stuff starts to happen. (laughs) Correct. Exactly. 
So were you able to get joined in with a group or did you start your own group when you first started out? Uh, coincidentally, the team that I covered at uh, the Edinburgh Manor uh, event, the director of that team uh, apparently liked what I was doing and saw that I had some interest, and he asked me if I wanted to uh, be part of a chapter he was starting in Dubuque and be the lead investigator of that chapter, and I was very humbled and honored and decided to, to do that, and we interviewed of other people, the whole the whole idea and the whole premise of what uh, the director was doing was to bring six strangers together and train them to become a paranormal team. And so that's what we did for a year and a half. Uh, I trained with uh, that team, and for about a year, the rest of the team members trained with that team. Uh, but then in October of 2018, we were getting to the point where uh, we were starting to get uh, busier, more more inquiries and. Our thought process was it, it, it's really difficult when you have a director who's lives four or five hours away and you're responding to local people to be able to respond to them quickly enough in the way you want. So we felt at that point that we had been trained well enough and uh, it behooved us to break off and form our own team just so we could respond to the local people better. So in October 2018, that's when Transcendent Paranormal Society was formed. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense. It's too hard to go through all the chain of commands when you're that far away. Right, so exactly. I think it's a great choice. You know, yes, I'm, no, I'm, a, I, I'm a little biased, but that's okay. Um, right. So we know you're a founder, and you're actually the co-founder, because you Correct. and our friend Amy were actually the two founders of the group. Who else is in the yes. group? Uh, well, you. You're the newest. Uh, you're the newest member, but you're certainly not new to the paranormal field. Uh, we have uh, Ali Schmals, who is uh, she was one of the original members, and she is a naturalist, so she is a scientist by trade and has a very logical mind, very logical approach to things. Uh, we have uh, Tanner McInerney. Uh, he was one of the original members as well uh, with the other team, uh, and then we have Alicia Frederick, who is newer. Um, she joined the team about a year after we started uh, training. so And she's come along very well. She's doing a great job, and she's having um, catching evidence and having lots of great personal experiences. So I'm very happy with the six people, um, six main people we have on our team. Uh, and then we also have my daughter. <clears throat> my daughter, Kalina, is 14, and she's a junior investigator now. So she joined us at our public investigation we had in March and uh, she enjoys it. And then we have a couple other people who help us with uh, scouting locations and keeping track of things. Yep, I think, you know, again, like I said, I'm biased, but I think we have a great team. I got One yes. thing I do have to say with Alicia is some of the investigations we went on, especially with her still being kind of fairly new to this, just mm -hmm. the, the brightness in her eyes when she finds some kind of evidence that shows up. Oh, yeah. Or her personal yes. experiences. It's so great. I love it. Right, exactly. And we try and encourage we try and encourage that as much as possible because that's part of the learning process. And the more you can be constructively criticized and give them feedback, the, the better they're going to be. Yep, absolutely. And that's one of the things that's hard to keep track of, especially when you've been doing this for a long time, is keeping mm -hmm. keeping that spark going. So, but I think right. I think the the group that we have, I think we all feed off of each other very very well. Right. And part of the reason you mentioned that we have co-directors, co-founders, Amy and I, when we formed this team, we felt it was very important that 
it wasn't just one person in charge of all six or seven or eight people. It was a team effort. And whenever you hear me talk about uh, the team, I will. I don't say my team. I say our team. I don't. It's it's everybody's team. It just happens to be that I'm one of the two people who uh, lead it in the, a certain direction. So we're big into it being our team, not my team. Yep, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about Dubuque. I mean, most people aren't sure, sure where it's at, let alone a lot of people <laughs> probably don't even know how to pronounce it correctly. So, right. But tell us a little bit about the area. Sure. Uh, Dubuque is right on the Mississippi River uh, on the eastern side of Iowa. It is actually uh, right across the Mississippi River from where Illinois and Wisconsin meet Iowa. So you can actually leave Dubuque and travel into three states in about a five-minute span. So it's it's pretty cool. Uh, it's the oldest city in Iowa. Uh, it has the oldest church in Iowa, the first park in Iowa, the oldest newspaper in Iowa. So it's full of history. And there's a lot of little towns around Dubuque in south, uh, southwest Wisconsin, northeast Illinois, and then northeast Iowa that are also very small historic towns that have lots of great uh, locations to go investigate. And, and Dubuque's, Dubuque especially, and even Galena, uh, which we haven't really investigated there yet, but uh, are very proud of their history and embrace it. And so that's been uh, – almost every place we've gone to has been extremely welcoming and wanting us to come in and help out or investigate public lo- historical locations. So uh, we're, I consider it pretty – that we're pretty lucky that we're in this location, that we're able to help a three-state area and have so many places that are just so full of history that it's um, rife with uh, investigation possibilities. Oh, absolutely. Anytime you get all that good history and you get a location that's actually going to take care of their historic places, I mean, right. it's it's a gold mine. Um, but to go along with the history, you also have to, you know, accept that the paranormal is probably in that historic in those historical places. Um, right. What are some good, possibly haunted places here in Dubuque? Oh, man. Well, we've investigated a lot of them. Uh, probably the one that stands out the most is the Grand Opera House. We've been there three times, and uh, every single time we catch great evidence. Uh, there's the Five Flags Theater, another, another old – and theaters in opera houses just as a as a whole seem to have more paranormal activity than other places. So uh, that's a place that's uh, really great to investigate. We've investigated the old jail in Dubuque. Uh, didn't really get a lot of evidence there. Uh, we've been to the Franklin Hotel in Strawberry Point, a historic hotel there. Uh, there's a place in southwest Wisconsin that we don't say where it is or what the name of it is because uh, we're the only paranormal team that they want investigating there. So that's a awesome, wonderful location um, that we get to investigate. And we've been lucky enough to have a couple people call us into their homes to help them out. And even a business called us in to help because they didn't know what was going on on their property. So lots of lots of great locations. Yeah, and you actually, speaking of the Grand, you, we actually just mm-hmm. had our public event there. We did. Uh, we had our first public investigation event March 30th. Uh, we actually, when we put tickets up for sale two months early, three months early, uh, it sold out in six days, which we were amazed by because we know teams who have public events at Edinburgh Manor, and which is one of the most famous haunted locations in the Midwest, and they don't sell it out. So we weren't anticipating selling it out that fast, but... It was limited to uh, 20 people. They paid $50. They came in. Uh, they got pizza. Uh, they saw a presentation of our best evidence so far. And then they actually 
participated with the team members on a full-fledged investigation. So exactly the way we would do it if there were just six of us investigating, this time there were just 26 instead. So uh, it was very successful. We've gotten a lot of rave reviews for it, and um, it's something where the grand is uh, open to us coming back and doing it every year there. So that's something we'll probably definitely be pursuing each year. Oh, yeah, without question. Is there any good evidence that you want to share with us from the from the grand? Oh well, uh, we've caught we've we've caught voices. Uh, we've caught footsteps going across the stage. We've we've gotten direct responses to questions we've asked. We've had really great spirit box sessions there. Uh, and at the March 30th investigation, we actually uh, performed the Estes methods on stage at the end of the night. So uh, we we had, and I can explain what that is, or we can wait till later. But um, we actually took one of the guests, uh, asked for a volunteer, and she went up on stage and actually per- was the person listening to the spirit box blindfolded with noise-canceling headphones on. So uh, to us, that validated that experience even more, that we were able to have a guest do it and get the uh, get the results that we did. <clears throat> and there's there's other evidence there that uh, we, we've caught as a member of our uh, other team when we were training there. We believe we caught an elemental or a fairy in the... Uh, costume shop on the fifth floor of the opera house which you can see that video on youtube it's publicly available if you look up grand opera house ferry you'll be able to find it but on a thermal imaging camera so it was pretty impressive yeah absolutely and i guess i should mention with this too uh the the evidence that you have we actually have it listed out on the website correct we do have a website uh, www.transcendentparanormal.com so you can go on there, and yes, we have evidence posted from all four of our cases that we've done so far. We just finished up another investigation last weekend, so uh, that evidence will be up there if we get the owner's permission uh, in a few weeks. And yeah, it's it's great putting that evidence out there and having people listen to it and respond and saying, "Wow, that's great stuff, amazing." And, and sometimes I I appreciate constructive feedback. So if somebody doesn't think it was a good piece of evidence or doesn't think it was paranormal, I appreciate getting that uh, feedback too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one thing that I should mention to everybody that's listening is not only do you kind of kind of encompass the whole idea of the para unity that we have, that, yes. that you you travel around the country a lot of times and meet with different teams, um, right? And I mean, I I absolutely respect you so much for that. But Thanks. what would you say is your favorite place that you've? Oh God. <laughs> um. Oh, I don't know if I can limit it to just one. You can Uh, can give me a couple. That's fine. Okay. Edinburgh Manor, obviously, just because of what it is. Uh, But everybody would say that. So uh, I've I've had the opportunity to go to the Palmer House Hotel in Sauk Center, Minnesota. Uh, Hey, Kelly. Hope you're listening. Uh, To investigate there with four other paranormal teams. That was just a few months ago, and that was amazing, even though I had to cut it short because of a blizzard that was coming. Uh, the Grand Opera House, like I said, is always a wonderful location. We always get great evidence when we go there. And the, ta- the, uh, the tavern that I mentioned in southwest Wisconsin that uh, is kind of our honey hole, uh, that is a place with some very intense energy. And every time we've gone there, which is three times, we've gotten really great stuff there as well. Sure. Well, going to all these places, obviously you're going to need your different types of equipment that you use. And you know, speak, speaking personally, we have a very nice selection of equipment. Um, yes, we do. <laughs> what would you say is your favorite piece of equipment? Um, 
I'm kind of a purist. I, I think my favorite piece of equipment is simply a digital recorder. Uh, I I love it when we catch an EVP, whether it's a direct response to something we're asking or just a disembodied voice. I still get thrills when I hear that on uh, when reviewing evidence. And I'm a big fan of the K2 meter. Uh, we've used that in investigations where we've gotten it to go off on command, which is really impressive. Uh, so to me, though, if you're starting out as an investigator, those are the two things that you need that are essential. Both of them, you can get each one for 70 bucks or less. So it's not very expensive. But like you mentioned, uh, we have quite a bit of other equipment, and that's the nice thing about when you have uh, Amy, who had a, ran a team in the Chicago suburbs before she came here and had her own equipment, and you were an investigator for a long time before you joined us. You have your own, and then when we split off from our other team, uh, I purchased a whole bunch of equipment as well. So it's nice to have three people bringing all that together. But we use we have REM pods, we have uh, multiple K2 meters, we have millimeters, temperature devices, motion sensors, a DVR camera system. So we have pretty much laser grids. We pretty much have everything we think we need, and you don't have to you don't have to have a lot of equipment to be a good investigator. That's one of the misnomers that some teams have is, oh, I feel I feel the need to have twenty thousand dollars worth of equipment because that validates us as a team, and that that means we're an awesome team. That's great if you can afford that and have that kind of equipment, but you don't have to have all that to be a great investigator and to catch evidence. So that's definitely something I need to share with people is that you don't have to have a huge budget and tons of equipment to, to do the job. Yeah, exactly. Cause when I first started out, I was always worried that I needed to buy equipment and I was told my very, very first one, they said, bring a tape recorder, a piece of paper and a pencil. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Do you have any kind of tips or tricks that seem to work good for you for getting a little bit better responses? Uh, well, we always, we take, we always take the approach that Everybody that we're talking to, uh, for the most part, was a person in life. Uh, so you have to talk to them and treat them like a person. Uh, we do not we do not provoke spirits ever. Uh, there are times, like our investigation this last weekend, where we're firm and we'll, we'll you know, but we're not going to provoke them. We're not going to tell them to touch us. We're not going to tell them to scratch us. We're not going to tell them to manifest themselves, stuff like that, because that just gets you into trouble. So. Uh, we treat them like they're people, and that seems to have worked uh, every investigation we've been on. And I would say be patient. Uh, that's very important because there are times where you're on an investigation for five or six hours and you don't hear anything, and it's very easy after a couple hours of talking to nothing in a dark room to get discouraged and start getting frustrated. And that um, that frustration will affect your ability to investigate in a great in a good way. So. You have to be sure to um, not get frustrated because just because you can't hear them doesn't mean they're not responding to you. Uh, and then one thing personally that I always do is if I'm having anything going on in my life, whether it's jobs, relationships, stuff at home, if I have anything going on that may impact an investigation negatively, I always make sure that night before I go on the investigation to take time to just clear all that out and get all that bad energy out of my system because I don't want to be carrying that into an investigation that could potentially have uh, a grumpy old man or somebody who doesn't really want us to be there um, or, God forbid, a negative entity uh, where they would be able to feed off that. So, yeah, those are those are the few things I would definitely share. Yep, I'm the same way. I always try to clear my head well before I get there, and then also I usually take a few minutes before we get started just to kind of sit by myself in the place 
just to yep. kind of get a feel and like kind of let it, I, I guess, embrace me, I guess would be the kind of right, the right. right word. And I mean, and I like that you did mention to everybody that you don't have to go out there and tell them to touch you or scratch you or throw stuff no. at you, you know, to be able to get good responses. I mean, sorry, right. Tanner, but yeah, I mean, knocking, <laughs> knocking is okay. <laughs> yeah. I know when he listens, he's going to probably be mad at me, but that's okay. I had to take that shot. Um, it's all right. It's, it's Tanner. He'll understand. <laughs> so tell us about the public events that we have coming up. Sure. Well, we have uh, on August 24th, we have our next public investigation event at the Five Flags Theater in Dubuque, which is a historic location. Uh, there's actually been a couple, a few theaters on that site, and two of them burned down. Uh, and the one that's still standing has been there for, oh gosh, at least 80 years. Uh, so it's an iconic location in downtown Dubuque, and uh, we've been there a few times for just regular investigations. We've caught a lot of good evidence there. So uh, we wanted to approach them and say, hey, can we do a public event here? And they agreed. So that's on Saturday, August 24th. Uh, tickets will go on sale for that May 25th. Uh, and you'll be able to, there'll be a link on our website, uh, transcendentparanormal.com, uh, where you can buy tickets. We'll also put that link on our Facebook page that you could go to to, to get tickets. But uh, and it'll start at 7 p.m., a little earlier than the grand one. And, again, it'll be pizza, a presentation of our best evidence, and then a full-fledged investigation with the team. Uh, guests get to use the equipment. Uh, we explain the equipment. They get to use it. Uh, and we and if it's anything like our investigation at the Grand Opera House, I think every single member, every single guest who was there had a personal experience, at least one, if not more. And uh, so we, we, we expect it to sell out. Uh, in about a week, like the Grand Opera House did, if not faster. Uh, and then uh, September 27th and 28th, there's a new paranormal convention in Menominee, Wisconsin, called Paranomicon. Uh, Johnsdale Paranormal Group out of Minnesota is putting on that uh, convention. It's at the Mabel Tainter Theater in Menominee, so it's a, a very historic old theater. I've been there once, and it's just an amazing place. It is haunted. Uh, and they're only selling 261 tickets for that convention because that's all the theater will hold. Uh, so we were asked to come and be a vendor at that uh, event. So we're extremely excited about that. Uh, Grant Wilson's going to be there uh, from Ghost Hunters. Uh, he's going to be the lead keynote address and leading an investigation in one of the nights. Uh, Lauren Coleman, who is the, one of the world's foremost authorities on Bigfoot and cryptids, is going to be there. Uh, one of the... Um, one of the producers of Hellier is going to be there, and then a few other uh, paranormal celebrities will be making an appearance as well. So should be a real good time. Yeah, it absolutely sounds like it. Hopefully hopefully, I'm able to free up my schedule to be able to go with you. Yes. You have to fight, for, <laughs> you have to fight with Amy for it. Well, if Amy wants to go, I'm going to just let her go. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't mess with Amy. So No, no. Well, Jim, is there anything else you want to add before we kind of head our separate ways here for the night? No, I think we're good. I appreciate the opportunity to talk paranormal. I always enjoy sharing our experiences and trying to educate the public about what we do. Yeah, you and I, we have a bad habit of when we get together talking paranormal, it ends up taking a lot longer than we ever expect. Which is fine. No, yeah, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, I will put links up for the website and for the Facebook on our um, on the show notes for tonight and the Instagram as well too. So that, yeah. w that way we have it all together. Um, 
like I said, Jim, I appreciate you taking the time tonight. I know you've been busy lately with all the investigations and reviews and everything like that. So I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much. All right, Jim, have a good night. You too. Thanks again to Jim Winter with Transcendent Paranormal Society for being our guest today. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. Please take a minute to give us a review on iTunes or whatever directory you listen to us on. It means a lot to us, and we want to hear your feedback to help make our show a little bit better. My name is Brandon, and you've been listening to the best place to bring our paranormal teams a little closer together, the ParaUnity Podcast. <laughs>